Well, a happy Easter from all of us here at Dorchester Community Church. Spring is in the air. Daffodils that were once buried dormant beneath the earth have exploded into life. A reminder of the resurrection. As you've already seen on your screen, he is risen. We're celebrating today Jesus coming back from the grave. We've got Lego people to celebrate that. We've got the puppets to celebrate that. And if you stay tuned right the way to the end, the very, very end, then we've got a little bit of a quiz for you as well to see how well you know this Easter story. But first of all, a news flash. A man was driving home late last night when the Easter bunny suddenly jumped out from nowhere in front of his car. He couldn't stop. Bang! Easter bunny was killed outright. A great big ah. The man was absolutely distraught. What could he do? There may well have been Easter no more. A woman suddenly rushed onto the sea. She was saying, what's the matter? What's the matter? The man was devastated. He was so distraught. She said, don't worry. She suddenly was delving around in her handbag and she took out some spray. She goes over to the Easter bunny, sprays the entire can all over the little furry little animal. And suddenly, out of nowhere, the Easter bunny springs to life, dusts himself down and runs along the road, pausing only every few seconds to give a little bit of a wave and off he goes. The man is thrilled, but completely in shock as well. What was that in that can? He said to the woman. The woman threw him the can. She said, it's just my hairspray. Just hairspray? Really? Well, how can that bring that little furry little animal back to life? She said, read the can. It read as follows, brings dead hair back to life and adds permanent wave. Ah, uh, groan. So, without further ado, there's my little spray. We've got now the fullness of the Easter story. Last time when we met, it was Palm Sunday, but there's a lot that actually occurred between Palm Sunday and today. Here's a few of those elements as we focus on what happened in the build-up to the cross and then beyond. And then following our Lego people telling the story, Maria is going to lead us in our first two songs. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Praise you, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that today we are able to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Through Jesus' death on the cross, you provided a way for our sins to be forgiven by putting our hope and trust in you. You raised Jesus from the dead, which gives us the opportunity to choose new life. At this wonderful springtime, our souls sing for joy at the signs of new life in creation and everything around us. Help us to look after our world and treat every living thing with care and respect. God bless our children and young people that have been cut off from their friends, teachers and education for long periods during the past year. Thank you that they are once again able to attend school to learn and see their friends. I pray that the resources and counselling will be forthcoming to deal with the damage that so many of them have suffered mentally. And our elderly people, who too have been forced to spend long periods of time away from friends and family who care about them, Please, Lord, bring hope and comfort in the isolation and fear that they continue to suffer. May they, too, be able to find the help and solace needed in the ongoing crisis. 
And please, Jesus, encourage the workforce in this nation who face an uncertain future to seek hope and fulfilment that only a relationship with you can truly bring. Give wisdom to our government as they continue to navigate our country through the next few months of releasing the lockdown. Let us take hold of the authority you give us to discern what is true and what should be regarded with caution. Thank you for every blessing you grant us and help us to be a grateful nation. Please give each one of us a deeper understanding of your love for us so that we may want to serve you, our church family and the community we live in with all of our hearts, minds and strength. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Marie, for leading us in our time of prayer. Jesus coming back to life after being crucified. It may well seem quite a fairy story uh, to some today. What a joke. He would have had to have been God to have done that. Hmm. Interesting phrase. We believe that Jesus coming back from the dead offers us real hope and purpose. How can we know that this Jesus came back to life? Well, firstly, we know that the tomb was definitely empty. Secondly, his body has never been found. Thirdly, lives were transformed way back then, instantly. And fourthly, this same Jesus, millions would say, is changing lives Today, we could unpack each of those four, but time doesn't allow us this morning. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead gives us hope that this life might not be all there is. And that's really important, especially as Maria has already alluded to. There's that sense of maybe some of us still feeling in the tomb as if it's back on a Good Friday experience. Today is a day where we open ourselves up to maybe God bursting forth to want to give us new life. And let's trust that we're going to be receptive to that end. Unless, of course, there is something after this life, then life in and of itself is pretty meaningless and pointless, isn't it? It's all about maybe having a good time whilst we're here. But then if there's just nothing, well, what's the point? I wonder if this is why maybe some element as to why we're so obsessed about prolonging life in the here and now. Because we think that there's nothing else at all. So we therefore somehow have to keep this life going. Then of course sadly reality dawns as we're sat on a seat at yet another funeral. Most there of course will be full of grief. Why? Well, because of the loss of a friend or a loved one. And yes, that's understandable. But it's also because of the finality that we place upon death. We don't like to talk about it. People feel that's it. I will never see that person again. That smile, that face, times with them, being together. I will never hear their voice, their laugh, never feel their warm embrace, their love, comfort, assurance and encouragement. It can be quite a dark place, as if we're still ourselves in the tomb. There is only able to be hope for something beyond this life because of what Jesus did that very first Easter morning. He was dead, but now is alive. It was Good Friday. The day was dark. Heads hung low. There appeared no hope. But now it's Easter Sunday. Light bursts forth. Heads can be lifted. And there is indeed hope. 
in the here and now, maybe, just maybe, there could be that touch from God upon where you may well feel at this moment on maybe your own Good Friday experience because of Jesus. And here's a top 10 because of Jesus uh, things I want to share very quickly with you. Because of the reality of today, this resurrection day, because of Jesus coming back to life, Firstly, it means that death is not the end. That is good news. Secondly, it means there can be hope for something after death. Thirdly, it means the Bible is able to be seen as trustworthy. Fourthly, our own lives can therefore have a sense of purpose because this is not all there is in this life. Fifthly, we know that this Jesus was who he said he was. When you read through the Gospels, he made quite a lot of outlandish claims, unless, of course, they were true. And we touched a little bit on that last week. Sixthly, we can know that he must have been God if he came back to life. Seventh, we can have reason to believe that this same Jesus is still alive now by his spirit, wanting to touch the likes of you and me. Eighthly, We can have reason to believe, therefore, that he is interested in you and in me. Ninthly, that means that we should live in the light of eternity. And tenthly, we need to make a response to him. Because of this Jesus coming back to life, how are you and I going to respond to him? There's a whole host of brilliant Things that we can receive as positives, isn't there? As a result of this day that we call Easter Sunday. We've had an opportunity to express our own love, worship, devotion to this risen Jesus. But what might he want to say to us? What might God want to speak to us in the here and now? We've already spoken about the essential uh, centrality of the resurrection. The apostle uh, Paul, when he spoke to one church in Corinth way back has a message that is equally relevant for the likes of you and me today. And Tori is going to come and read that to us. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you've got a Bible handy. Starting to read at verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of, all, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he also appeared to me as to one abnormally born. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ was not raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he he has raised Christ from the dead. But he, did, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. 
you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Thank you, Tori. Well, there's a lot of talk there, isn't there, about those who have fallen asleep. I hope that's not you. And if it is, oi, wake up, will you? Right, put your hot cross bun down. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Easter is one of those days where maybe people might come to church who don't uh, normally turn up. You may well be watching uh, today and you don't normally come to church or you don't normally watch this kind of stuff. But today it's Easter Sunday and so you want to do a little bit of church stuff. If that's you, you are very welcome and we are pleased that, that you're joining us in this way. We hope it's not just a case of, well, see you again next year. Hopefully there'll be something to encourage you to come back. It's also a time when those people who've maybe got a faith or had a faith or some point in their lives made a commitment but somehow lost interest or or got a bit weighed down with the busyness of life can suddenly decide, oh, it's Easter Sunday, let's go to church or let's watch something churchy. And that may well be you right now as well. If that's the case, you're very welcome as well. If you're not in either of those two categories and you're tuning in, we're thrilled that you're here. God's word gives us a gentle nudge on a day like today that we hold on to hope. It's an easy thing to say and a lot easier to say than it is to actually do and in, 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 in enable us to do in practice, isn't it? But hopefully we can feel that it's possible to hold on to this hope because of this Jesus. Because of three things that I want to draw out from those verses that Tori has read uh, to us. Firstly, what are we to hold on to? We're to hold on to what matters most. Now, we're in a brand new building here today. We've been here uh, just over a couple of years now. I can remember lengthy, drawn-out conversations and email back and forth about what type of flooring we should have in the main hall. Some of you watching this will think, yeah, I can remember all those emails. Should it be some sort of vinyl? Should it be carpet? Should it be this? Should it be that? I can remember similar debates over what sort of bread we should use for communion. I can remember conversations and dialogue about it being important to have a, a photos of who's who in the church, but whose photo should be on and who shouldn't. And when we thought we got there, well, what's going to be the order that those pictures should be put in? And again, some of you may well remember some of those uh, conversations. I can even remember there being dialogue and debate about the type of toilet tissue we should use in this new building. The Bible kind of cuts through all of that stuff and says that we should be focusing on what matters most. Namely, that Jesus died for the purpose of saving us, the likes of you and me, that he was buried because he was dead, but that he came back to life physically as he promised and as God's word indeed predicts, to demonstrate that he was indeed the Son of God and had power even over death. Hosea chapter 13 verse 14 foretold, Where, O death, is your sting? The founder of every other religion died and stayed dead. Jesus rose again. There is something intrinsically unique 
about Christianity, about the Christian claim. And that is what Paul was wanting to allude to when he speaks in verses 3 and 4. Christ did die for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and that he was raised on the third day. And we're celebrating that historical fact. Which brings us on to verses 5 to 8. And the next thing that you and I ought to hold on to is to hold on to the historical evidence. We've got a, a long list in those verses of who Jesus appeared to. He appeared to a whole number of people after he died. There's only one way that you can appear to people after you've died, and that is by coming back to life again. Maybe if it was just one person, well, one person could be hallucinating or making it up, but there was way more than one. Peter had a hint of, 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 people would have had a hint about what was possible because Jesus had raised to life a guy called Lazarus. You can read about that in John chapter 11. But he also had uh, given his audiences a clue when, using a different name, he mentioned that one would die and then be raised to life on the third day. He predicted that himself. They shouldn't have been surprised. And yet so often we are surprised too, aren't we? The Bible states that people saw him after he was supposed to have died. This was no David Copperfield stunt. Peter, the other apostles, yeah, okay, you may well think, well, yes, well, we would have expected you to say that. But listen to these uh, words again. Chapter 15, verse 6. After that, he appeared to more than 500 at one time, most of whom are still living. Now that's impressive. Why? Because any single one of those more than 500 could have denied it. But they didn't. There's no record of that. They could have grabbed the dead body and just presented it. Look, he's not really alive at all. This is the dead body. But there was no dead body to be found or presented. The reality is that a transformation in Jesus' followers took place on account of the resurrection on account of that which they saw before their very eyes and that's evidence in itself of of the resurrection that little band of disciples that went from hiding and feeling scared stiff to in a very short while preaching that this Jesus was indeed alive and was able to forgive wrongdoing and able to give a fresh start to any who came to him in faith They were willing to go through horrible torture and even death. Writer Lee Strobel, in Case for Easter, writes these words. He said, nobody willingly dies for something that they know is false. These people knew that Jesus had died because they were there. They knew that there was an empty tomb because they'd seen it. And they knew that Jesus was alive because they'd seen him as a person. And that is what brought about that immediate change. And then we read as Paul writes and says of himself, and then last of all, he appeared to me. Well, so what? Well, the so what is off the back of this, that Paul was very anti-Jesus at the time, way back when he was known by the name at Saul. He was giving the okay for Christians to be murdered. That was Paul who was then writing to this church now. It was this risen Jesus who turned him around and Paul was willing to give up his life to follow him. 
and tell others about him, despite his own facing persecution and hardship as a result. Why? Because of some kind of hopes? It has to have been, because that which he experienced was true. Going one way, and then he literally was the one who had that Damascus Road experience. We use that as a phrase, don't we? The Bible got there first. And it was Paul who had the original Damascus Road experience. Being anti-Jesus and the followers of Jesus, suddenly he meets this risen Jesus. And his life is never the same again. You can read about that in the books of Acts through chapters 8 to 9 and beyond. Moreover, one philosopher said these words, J.P. Morland points out, within weeks of the resurrection, not just one, but an entire community of at least 10,000 Jews were willing to give up very sociological and theological traditions that indeed given them previously their own national identity. Why would they do that? Unless what they had witnessed was true, was right before their very eyes. So that's the second thing. And thirdly, you and I to hold on to the fact that Jesus came back from the dead in a physical sense. Paul goes on to explain the importance of that in verses 12 through to 20 that we had read to us. Without the resurrection, he's saying, there is no Christian faith because our faith stands on both the death and the resurrection of our founder. If Jesus didn't die, then our sin, our wrongdoing has not been dealt with. So we will still be judged and we will then be the ones who fight to face eternal punishment and justifiably so for what we've done wrong. Just as bad, those that we knew and loved who've died and that we thought we, they'd gone to be with God, well that's all just one big fat hopeless lie. Christians talk about Jesus dying on the cross for their sin. But if that was it, and Jesus stayed dead, what would that have accomplished? What reassurance would you and I have? We wouldn't know that God was satisfied and and the issue uh, of our sin would still remain unsettled. The guarantee of the meaning of the crucifixion is indeed the resurrection. If Jesus did not come back to life after his death, then we can't be sure that there can even be life after death. And that's a pretty gloomy thought, isn't it? Paul is right. He says, if that's the case, we're to be the most pitied of all people because we're giving our time, we're giving our money, we're giving this, that and the other for what? Well, for what we believe is important, when we might as well just eat, drink and be merry. And then Paul says these words in verse 20. But Jesus Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. It's that big but that makes all the difference. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Billy Graham said once that there is more evidence that Jesus rose from the dead than there is that Julius Caesar ever lived, or that Alexander the Great died at the age of 33. Phenomenal statement, but it's because of the historical evidence that there is 
that this Jesus that we worship did indeed come back to life again. Because Jesus was raised, that means that our wrongs can be forgiven. We can have a purpose for our lives. We can have the power to change our lives. And there is indeed, therefore, hope beyond the grave. This is what we mean when we say that there is and able to be hope in Jesus. And that's why we should aim to hold on to this hope. It's been a tough last year to do that. Whether people have got a faith or not, we've struggled with feeling disconnected. We've struggled with being isolated. We've struggled with not being able to see or perceive any hope around the corner. But our hope didn't ought to be in things or material stuff or uh, being enabled to see other people. Our hope ought to rest upon that which God has done for us in this person of Jesus. As we strip everything else back on Easter Sunday, may it be that we see afresh that this Jesus who was dead has come back to life and is indeed alive again. And he's wanting to be involved, as involved as ever, in your life and mine by his spirit. It may well be for some of you watching this, you're thinking, I I don't know about hold on to this hope. How can I know that hope? We sometimes use like a little ABC uh, acronym to help us get our heads around how that might be possible. The A is that there's something to admit. To admit that we're not perfect, well, most of us don't find that too difficult. But to admit that we've fallen short of our own standards, but also ultimately fallen short of God's. We're in desperate need of his forgiveness. Are you able to admit that? Maybe even right now, where you're sipping on on your coffee or chumming on your donut, whatever it is. Something to admit. And the Bible encourages us and welcomes us to be real before our maker. To come clean before him. God's seen everything that we're about anyway. There's not going to be any great surprises. Give him an opportunity to deal with that stuff from way back. Or whatever it is that you're wrestling with now. The B is there's something to believe. The something to believe is that this Jesus came and died on a cross in our place. As punishment for everything that you and I deserve to be punished for. He came to do for you. What we could never do for ourselves. But he didn't stay dead. As we've been celebrating and thinking about already. This Jesus then on this day. On the third day. Came back to life. Showing that death was not going to be the end. The sea is maybe the toughest thing of all. Because there's something from within ourselves. That ought to lead to our own. Making some form of commitment. As opposed to believing something way back and doing nothing. Are we willing to commit our lives to the one who is willing to give of his life for you and for me? It's that sense of our own handing over the controls to him. Saying, I'm not able to do this in my own strength. I'm not able to get to where you are. How many of us have struggled for years to try and do that? To achieve some measure of okayness or merit before God. And we just keep kinding. We're never going to get there. Just recognize that we can't get there. James chapter 4 verse 8 encourages us. Come near to God and he will come near to you. It's not about that sense of God doing something to prove that he's real. And then I'll put my faith in him. 
You know, that's something that I hear time and time again uh, on a day by day basis, really. But it's no different to what people were saying back in the day, back then. You know, there was a group of people that were gathered around the crucifixion scene. And they were, they were the religious leaders. They were the theologians of the day. And they were saying, well, well, if you're God, if you are who you say you are, why don't you come down from the cross? Come on, we're waiting. And then we'll put our faith in you. God doesn't have to do that. He's done everything that needs to be done. God's way is this. You place your trust in him and then he will make himself known to you. Something to admit, something to believe and something to commit. That's the amazing grace of God. Can't do it of ourselves. Can't ever get there in and of our own efforts. May it be that this day you truly celebrate this amazing grace. We're going to be singing about that in a few moments time God's amazing grace something that we could never earn something that we don't deserve and when you've tasted of that hope hold on to that hope in the same way as scripture teaches that this Jesus will hold on to you to each and every one of us Okay, thank you very much again, the Ministry of Puppets. I love that sketch, and uh, we saw that last week. It was so good. We actually were asked to show it again. I think it's well worth showing again. The message stays exactly the same, whether or not you're one of the younger ones or one of the older ones. The message is true for you. We celebrate God's love. But actually, as the Ministry of Puppets have also encouraged us, we also are able to celebrate with chocolate. And that's one of the things that we do here week by week. We love to do this, although we can't really share chocolates around in the same way as we normally do. We'll be able to do that, though, quite soon. Come the 18th of April, we're looking forward to being back here at a small uh, congregation, and there'll be details on our website shortly about how you're able to book your uh, place, your seat for that. So, what do we celebrate? Well, there's a number of birthdays here. First birthday is of Nick Brown, whose birthday is today. So, Nick, if you're watching this, happy birthday. Now, of course, you thought that Michelle was just here to actually be singing in the worship group. Well, she's decided to one-to-one give you a personal solo rendition of... Michelle is absolutely petrified at the back and just about to run out of the door. Not really. But Nick, a happy birthday to you. I'm going to make sure that the chocolate goes to Michelle that should go to you. Here go, Michelle. There we go. She didn't exactly make a great deal of effort to dive for that, but still. On Tuesday, we've got two birthdays. We've got the birthday of Jane Fishlock. Jane, who helps oversee with Mark the, uh, uh, the food share. So, Jane, a happy birthday to you. I'm not too sure who's going to be close enough to take one out to Martin's Day, but one there. Also on Tuesday, it's a very happy birthday to a young man by the name of Joseph. Joseph, yep, it's your birthday. Now, your dad is here right now. So, if you ask him nicely when he gets back from church he should have a chocolate for you happy birthday on jo- on tuesday joseph and also on saturday it's a happy birthday to mandy buller as well mandy have a happy birthday on saturday that's the birthdays but there's also a big celebration on thursday gerald and G- <clears throat> excuse me gerald and jean allen celebrate their diamond wedding anniversary. That's an incredible achievement. So Gerald and Jean, 
couple of chocolates we're going to try and get these to you somehow congratulations on 60 years together may god bless you gerald and jean that's our celebrations i'm going to hand over to maria who's going to close but don't forget after the credits for those of you still willing to take part if you think you know all about easter we've got a quick fire quiz for you okay so I've been here today nearly three hours, and I wasn't the first here. So I'd like to thank the team that have been uh, responsible for putting on uh, Easter uh, uh, celebration this morning. We've got a great uh, team of people. I trust that you'll seek to encourage these guys. But for now, I hope before you go, if you've still um, remained online, you'll get yourself a pen and a paper, and you can uh, put some numbers down. I've got a quick fire quiz for you. If you think you know all about Easter, we did this at, at Cafe Church yesterday. So if you're one of the people who did this quiz at Cafe Church yesterday and were embarrassed about the score that you got, why not do it again to see if you can get even more than you got yesterday? So anybody here today, if you got your pens, yeah, I got your pens, make sure you make a note of this. Everything here that I'm going to ask you a question about, the answer is, is in the Gospels, okay? So for those of you who think, of course we know the Easter story. Well, let's just see. Question number one. So according to Matthew's gospel, how many times did Jesus pray in Gethsemane, not my will, but yours be done? That's question number one. In the Garden of Gethsemane, according to Matthew's gospel, and no clicking up on YouTube to check it out. Don't cheat. You're only be fooling yourself. Right, that's number one. Number two, what was the name of the soldier whose ear... Peter, cut off. What was his name? Number three. Somebody gave a warning because they'd suffered through having a dream about Jesus. Who was that? Who was that person? Number four. Somebody en route to the, to the crucifixion scene was given the task of carrying the cross of Jesus. And for those of you who've just written down Simon of Cyrene, yes, but what was, who was the, uh, who was the two sons that he fathered? Name his two sons. So you've got a point for each of those. There's a bit of a huff over there. <laughs> You've had to cross out Simon of Cyrene. I thought so. Good. So that's question number four. Simon of Cyrene was forced to carry the cross, but name his two sons. Number five. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, was written on that notice, on that placard on the cross. But it was written in three languages. Name those three languages that that phrase was written Jesus of Nazareth king of the Jews you'll get a point for each of those languages if you get the correct answer number six today you will be with me in paradise that was a promise that Jesus gave to one of the two criminals the one that didn't hurl insults but that turned in faith towards him but which gospel writer is the only gospel writer that we can read that quote from Jesus? Today, you will be with me in paradise. I'll give you a clue. 
It's either A, Matthew, B, Mark, C, Luke, or D, John. That's for those of you who like multiple choice. Okay, last question. Question number seven. According to John, when Jesus revealed himself to Mary Magdalene, what was her first response to him? What did she say? Can you remember? Okay, that's seven questions, but a couple of those questions have more than one point uh, uh, for the, uh, the, uh, the your answers. So there would be a maximum score of 10. Okay, you're at, out to try and beat eight. Who That was the top score yesterday. Here's the answers very, very quickly for you. And then by all means, put the kettle on for another cup of coffee. According to Matthew's gospel, how many times did Jesus pray in Gethsemane saying, not my will, but yours be done? Well, chapter 26, verse 44 implies that it was three occasions that Jesus uttered those words. So much was the torment about him not wanting to go through the crucifixion. But he did for the likes of you and me. Three times he came to that place to say, not my will, but yours be done. The name of the soldier who lost his ear was Malchus. Malchus in John chapter 18, verse 10. Uh, you can read that. Number three. Who was it who suffered through having a dream about Jesus? It was Pilate's wife. Mrs. Pilate. And you can read that in Matthew chapter 27, verse 19. Simon of Cyrene, who carried the cross uh, en route to Golgotha. The names of his two sons are recorded in Mark chapter 15, verse 21, were Alexander and Rufus. Alexander and Rufus. Jesus uh, of Nazareth, King of the Jews, question number five, was written in three languages. Those languages were Aramaic, Latin and Greek, according to John chapter 19 and verse 20. The gospel writer who said that Jesus uttered these words to one of the criminals, today you will be with me in paradise, was Dr. Luke. It was Luke's gospel. And lastly, according to John, when Jesus revealed himself to Mary Magdalene, what was her response to him? It was Rabboni or teacher. I'll accept either of those. So add your scores up. And certainly if you got anywhere near eight, make sure you email us. And if anybody can beat the person who got eight uh, yesterday, I doubt it. But if you did, we'll make sure we get a prize to you as well. But no using Google. That's it. That's all for now. We wish you from all of us here at Dorchester Community Church a very happy Easter. God bless you all.